Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast. Delighted to be joined by a lady called Kathy Varol. Kathy uh, is a specialist in purpose and purpose and how it links to profit in organizations. So has done a lot of work in sustainability. You're here today of her journey from Peace Corps and the work she did in Morocco through to the link into Adidas and the work she did around their purpose and their strategy and the three pillars of their strategy and through to the work she's doing now. So amazing podcast she runs around purpose and tells stories about how organizations are moving in more into this purposeful world around ESG B Corp, which we'll talk about today, um, that we are thinking as we go along, we're heading towards that. So it answers some of the questions I have or had around those topics. Um, but also you'll hear a, a, an inten- a very intentional mind around the thinking she does. Um, and the podcast itself is well worth a listen on her podcast to talk about. So enjoy, Kathy. So life is beautiful. The artwork on the back. Tell me a bit about that. Where's that from? Uh, it's a picture of a piece by Banksy who is a Uh, graffiti artist that I love. A lot of his pictures have some sort of political or deeper meaning behind them. And there's a lot of mystery around who he is as a person. Uh, I think it's known that it's a he, but the identity of Banksy is unknown. I always am fascinated now with the modern world, how people can keep their identity secret and how and and this is almost the conspiracy theory. This is who it is. It could be working. I do love his work. I love, I love some of the the in situ places in urban, um, urban situations where you get this the, almost like the child following the person walking along a wall, and you think that looks like it could be two people just in that situation. I love his 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 work, but it's the meaning behind it that is is important. So you're a collector of art, then, are you? Do you like it, or do you just like the prints? I mean, I love graffiti. Yeah. And that can't really be collected <laughs> except in in reproductions and prints. And I do appreciate art, but I would have to say that as I've gotten older, I've moved more towards street art and away from museum art. Yeah, no. That's an interesting one. I was uh, I had a guest on Chris Brown who was uh, I don't know if he saw the podcast, but it was the, um, so he's, he was in jail for murder, um, used a gun to protect his mother. And, uh, but he's become an artist and he was released from prison, having written a master plan book and taken some of his art. It's all, it's all very profound, very deep, but some really creative pieces in there, but it's almost got a bit of a graffiti street art to it. I quite like it. It's got a bit of difference to it. And I was watching how you crafted one the other day. And it's being a non-artistic person myself, I'm always fascinated by how people find the space and the create and what they do. So it's amazing. Same. Yeah. So t- tell the listeners a bit about yourself, Kathy, where your backgrounds um, and your story so far. Yeah. Mm, my story so far. <laughs> I could go in a lot of directions with that, couldn't I? Yeah. Um, Well, let's start here. Um, I'm from a very small town, a small town that has a university in it in the middle of nowhere. And I always wanted to travel growing up. Uh, The our parent, my parents had a subscription to National Geographic magazine. 
And when I was younger, I wanted to be a photographer for them. However, I failed to ever take a photography class. So my <laughs> life did not go in that direction. <laughs> However, um, out of undergrad, I ended up going into the Peace Corps, I think partly inspired by National Geographic and partly inspired by, I ended up studying economics and I was really interested in developmental economics, how come some countries are further along than others and how do you raise the playing field across the globe so that what one is able to accomplish and the opportunities that are available to them aren't so determined based on where they're born. And at the time I was thinking I would get an advanced degree in developmental economics, but I was very tired of school. So I saw Peace Corps as kind of a hands-on internship. I'd never, I'd been traveling before, but I'd never been to a developing country. And so I figured it would be a way to really understand if this is the direction I want to go in and how I want to go in that direction. And for the listeners who aren't familiar with Peace Corps, it's... I was going to ask that because, yeah, I sort of have a glorified Peace Corps version from movies and other things, but I'd love to understand a bit more. Yeah. So in the US, President John F. Kennedy is the one who created it. It's a I would say two plus year volunteer program. There's three mm -hmm. months of training in country and then it's two years on top of that where all college graduates or people who have experience, so mm -hmm. they're older then, that volunteer to go to other countries and help in one of maybe five sectors. I was a small business development volunteer, but there's then education, health and environment volunteers. Um, so maybe four sector, sectors. Yeah. And you go, you're assigned to a town. So I went to Morocco, North Africa. Um, Amazing. And the way small business development volunteers were assigned was through the Moroccan government hmm. and their ministry of artisanment, which oversaw all Moroccan traditional artists, their businesses. Wow. And so they would say, hey, there's a business struggling here. And they would mm -hmm. pair a volunteer with that business. And that's where they would go and live for two years to help them. So that's the Peace Corps. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Can I dig into that? Because that's a fascinating bit of a story for you, because that tired of study, tired of college, decide to go train, and then you arrive in Morocco. And that's a very different culture, society, business. And I, I'm always fascinated by this type of event when you land and how you adapt and adjust, because I think I've shaped a lot from places I've lived in life in terms of myself. So just interested in how that, how that came about. And when you arrived, was it, how did you deal with it? Fortunately, when the volunteers arrive and we arrive in waves. So when I went okay. over, there was 45 of us, half business volunteers, half um, youth development volunteers, which mm. a lot of them ended up teaching English to kids there. And we were together for three months with intensive language training. So learning Arabic mm -hmm. um, and then learning about the country, uh, customs and norms and the role we're supposed to play there. And then mm -hmm. after the three months, you're sent off on your own uh, to a town. <laughs> Amazing. So yeah. The adjustments to that different culture, even though you learn Arabic, and I presume that's the first Arabic, was it the first Arabic you learned in terms of three months? Yeah. It was, yeah. Yeah. So not even fluent, but you're mm -hmm. out there and working. Must be tough, yeah? 
Yeah, language was definitely a barrier for a while. And especially because a lot of us were sent to small villages in Morocco. And Morocco has three native languages before Arabic, before Mm -hmm. the Arabs conquered it. And so anyone who's been to school in Morocco learns Arabic, if that wasn't their first language, if they didn't grow up in a city. And they also learn French. Um, but most of them, if you live in a small town, they speak Tashalheet was the local language in the town Mm -hmm. I was in. And so it's harder to continue picking up the language when it's not what's just spoken on the street or in the houses that you go and visit. Uh, so that provided (laughs) an additional challenge for sure. I can imagine. Yeah. I could do a bit of French, but I think the Arabic and the local language would be a challenge. So that was the Peace Corps. And how did it shape you? Because that's a big challenge. And it's my sense is there's a red thread for a lot of your life that takes on after that. Absolutely. Yeah. It shaped me in a lot of ways. First, what I learned in the Peace Corps isn't what I was expecting to learn. So hmm. I expected to go there. It would be an internship. Then I would go get an advanced degree in developmental economics. And what I saw in the Peace Corps was the power of business to create sustainable change in a way that oftentimes government and non-governmental organizations, nonprofits struggle to do. And it's because in order for business to exist, it has to be sustainable. It has to make a profit over and over again. And that means that if a business is created in a way where it's intentional about the impact it's having on people on the planet, then the impact it can make is also sustainable long-term. Whereas what government is doing, government gets its funds from business and individuals through taxes, and that's how it funds what it does. And nonprofits get their funding from raising money from businesses or individuals, and that's how they're able to fund. And both of those aren't as sustainable as having just a mechanism that in and of itself can go on indefinitely if you're running the business well. And so the Peace Corps made me shift my thinking to instead of going the academic route and then maybe later working for a governmental organization, um, becoming great at business and figuring Mm. out how to use that as an agent for systemic change. And I think that's, so that's where I am in terms of my thinking and, you know, the work of Citizens by John Alexander and other things are shaping the way. So community sustainability. For those who don't understand that, just tell me a bit more about what you mean, just taking the Moroccan, because it's shaped a lot of the ESG work and the purpose work you've got as well in terms of sustainability. Tell me a bit more. So sustainability can be defined in a lot of ways. And originally it was defined just in reference to the planet and environmental practices. So doing things in a way that doesn't harm the planet and ideally helps the planet thrive. So that means, for example, if we look at the world now, moving away from using single-use plastics, which Mm -hmm. just end up in landfills and end up in the ocean and they cause a lot of damage and they don't biodegrade and we're stuck with them forever. (laughs) Um, Or it means changing the way farming practices are done or ensuring that forests aren't cut down in order to get the materials that are needed for production. So 
that's how sustainability usually was referred to. Now, sustainability is also referred to an area of protecting society and people. And it's interesting that environment and society have a lot of crossover now. So there's been a lot of talk about the next huge wage wave of refugees are going to be climate refugees as some cities go away. Mm-hmm. Some island countries are even expected to vanish as sea levels rise. And so you have this really interesting overlap between environment and society and humans. They aren't separate. They're completely intertwined. Even on a more fundamental level, biodiversity is needed for the health of the planet. And that's something that would typically follow into the environmental side of sustainability, but it's also needed from a human side. So that was the journey you got into Peace Corps. You started to shift your mindset. And I'm fascinated by your journey because you've done so much great work and in terms of um, thinking about purpose. So how did the link into the purpose come and the profit piece? How did you get that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my last role within corporate, and I spent about 20 years working in corporations um, from Microsoft to Miller Coors to Adidas. I spent around eight years at Adidas. And my last role there was heading strategy for what they call global purpose, Mm. which is everything the company does to positively impact people and planet. And that's where I really anchored into the terminology of purpose. But to me, what it means is at its most fundamental level is a company's why. Why do you exist? So go to Simon Sinek's great TED Talk of looking at your why. And great companies are existing to solve some sort of problem for consumers, some sort of problem in the world. They're they're helping something. And I think the best companies are the ones that are helping in an additive way, in a positive way. They're Mm -hmm. adding to people's lives, to their happiness, to their safety, to their security. They're being intentional about the impact they're making on the planet. And I look at a lot of companies, if you take a step back, we have a global crisis of disengagement of employees everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it's not surprising to me Because for decades, since the 1970s, we've moved companies to this model of financial maximization, which means within the U.S., fiduciary responsibility is what you have to do, or you could be penalized as a CEO or a leader. You're you're legally obliged for it. And it means that the sole responsibility of a company is to maximize money for shareholders. Well, that's not very exciting. (laughs) <laughs> and that's not very engaging either. No. For some people it is, Kathy, and that, that, that's, for me, I don't understand it, but yeah, it's not. Yeah. I think it is and it isn't. Hmm. I think in the short term it is because everyone likes to get a trophy, right? Yep. And that is what I would call getting your quarterly earnings is like getting that trophy. You're playing hmm. the game. But the level of fulfillment is very fleeting with the trophy is very fleeting with any external reward. And 
psychology has shown this. So external rewards do incentivize behavior, but only for a short time. And eventually they run out of their effectiveness. But intrinsic rewards, internal rewards, it's like an unlimited well. And that's when you're driven by something that matters to you. You're driven by something that means something to you. And that is where, for me, purpose is so important. Hmm. It's important because everyone wants to do a job that's meaningful. Yes, we want money to support our livelihood and our families, but we also want to feel proud when we talk about our job. We want to feel like at the end of our life, what we did matters, that we supported something that was important to us. Not just shareholders, wallets, that's not really important to anyone <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, but making a contribution to society and the world, that's a life well lived. And suppose that takes us into the thinking about B Corp and purpose. And, and I'd love your views on B Corp because we are going through ESG process, we're looking to B Corp, but I see B Corp in my mind as not a tick box process to go through. But for me, it's about how do I become, a, we become a better organization, but we've got the debate in our organization about whether by being an internally a better organization, we spread a message versus almost it becomes what can I do to change society? In, the, in a direct way. And I'm just interested in your views around the B Corp movement and what's happening there, yeah. I think B Corp is excellent mm. um, from a number of levels. I think it gives a common set of requirements across companies, which is important. Um, so you can compare companies that have gone through the process. And so a specific company can continue to see what they need to improve year after year. So it provides a very useful framework. Hmm. Also, it's incredibly helpful for consumers. Mm -hmm. Because most of us, we all have busy lives. So doing our own research for every individual company is not practical and is exhausting and you would need an advanced degree to even know what to be researching and where to find the information. And yeah. so having that third party verification that is trusted is really valuable from a consumer standpoint. And then because it's valuable from a consumer standpoint, it's also valuable from a company standpoint of really showing from a validated source that you are doing things in the right way. So it's an external validation that, and and what I find is is good as a, as you mentioned there is it's you're being held to account, and there's high profile examples who've been taken off the B Corp register because they failed to live up to that. So, um, and also what I love is it feels like every year is going to get more difficult. So it's not a case that you get there and you're you're living it. It's going to change, and I know in September they're looking to change some of the the, uh, the pieces in there. For me, though, it's, go, it's going back to your purpose because I wondered with, um, and I always, I always used to pronounce it Adidas when I was in the UK, and Adidas. So I always have to remind myself that it's Adidas. When you go back to the work there, that's an established business that presumably was some degrees of retrospective work on purpose and how it deploys. So, what's your experience in terms of new businesses you can shape and work, but working with 
larger businesses and changing quite a corporate juggernaut in some cases mm -hmm. around on that. Uh, and what was your experience? Yeah. I think there's challenges to both, to be mm -hmm. honest. Change usually is never easy. As humans, we like to stick to what we know. We like to stick to certainty. Um, and change inserts uncertainty, regardless of what size your organization is. What I think is the most important when it comes to transitioning a company, regardless of size, to being purpose-led, is the senior leaders and the mm -hmm. board. And if they're really on board with this change or not, which is the same mm -hmm. with any type of change, huge change within an organization. If the senior leaders aren't on board, it's not going to happen because there's so many other competing priorities and you need to make consistent decisions to be purpose-led and to stay purpose-led. It's not just a one-time thing where you say, this is our purpose. We put it on a wall and we're done. It's how do you embed it into your business strategy? How do you embed it into your decision-making and help it guide your organization and even modify your business model. Tell me a bit more about that. Can you share what Adidas uh, in terms of it doing the strategy? Because one of the core elements was about providing better access to sports to girls mm -hmm. around the world. That was one of the core parts. So, but just how, it, how you actually executed that within the, the business would be fascinating to me. Yeah, I'll speak at a really high level. So yeah. the Adidas purpose is to change lives through sport. And so then the global purpose strategy is how do we bring that purpose to life holistically across the business and across the globe? And since Adidas is a global company, it meant doing a lot of research to understand what the strategy needs to look like so it's relevant across markets. Because topics that are hot in the US aren't necessarily mm -hmm. the same as what's top of mind in China versus what's top of mind in South Africa. So a lot of research went into seeing what areas made the most sense grounded in the purpose of changing lives through sport. And we ended up identifying three. So one is by increasing access to sport. Mm -hmm. And that focused a lot on females, girls across the globe that just don't have access to sport. So access was the first bucket. The second bucket was, once you have access to sport, are you included? And so that was around changing the culture of sport, using it as a way to increase inclusivity, to look at areas where sport isn't very inclusive, and how can we use our voice as a brand to help change that and shift that from the way that we create advertising campaigns and who mm -hmm. we show in them and the messaging there, or the way we make corporate statements when something happens in the world that goes against the idea of inclusivity in sport. And then the last bucket was sustainability, which is really protecting the planet so there are places left to play sport. Hmm. So you have access to sport, inclusion once you're in sport, an inclusive culture, and then protecting the planet so we can continue to play sport. Three huge buckets to, mm -hmm. to, to go out. I love that. And I love the, the mix of them. So this has led you from there to a, a career where there's a, a podcast, yeah, your work in there, um, but also you're speaking. 
So what are you into now? What's what are you focused and passionate about now in, in the market yeah. where you're in? What I'm passionate about is helping other companies that are truly interested in changing the way they do things, mm-hmm. moving from just financial maximization to how do we bring meaning back into the workplace? How do we really develop a purpose that isn't just a side philanthropy thing, corporate social responsibility thing, but it's integrated into what we do every day. So everyone that comes to work here understands what our purpose is. They can say it back. It's the reason they came to work for us. So working with those companies that are interested in going on that journey. And so Mm. I do, as you mentioned, a lot of speaking where I'm brought into organizations to talk about how to create a purpose beyond profit the right way or to talk about how to develop uh, ESG, environmental social governance strategy, the right way. And I have a podcast where mm-hmm. I interview. Great podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Where I interview business leaders across industries that I think are doing really amazing things and approaching business in a different way to give visibility to those stories. Because I truly believe there's a lot each of us can learn from seeing how other people are solving similar challenges, how other industries are solving similar challenges. Yeah, that's great. One of my colleagues, Dave Spence, sent me one of your podcast episodes to say, you should be listening to this. I said, I am. <laughs> so that's great. But what I also love about the podcast is the, the, the intentional research you do behind it and the intentional structure that you bring to those, because that must be part of this is is about providing structure to allow it not to be a speech that everybody goes yay let's do it and then but there's no pathway it's about shaping the path towards that so how do you how do you get that structure and how do you choose i mean one of the things was how do you choose the guests in terms of intentional way to work it i'm fascinated by that because it's well worth a listen to but there's so so much intentionality behind it i just wanted to get an insight into how you do that I appreciate that. How I choose the guests. I have a Trello board where every time I run across a business leader or a business that really strikes me as they're doing something purposeful, they're doing something and the way they're approaching it is different. Then I just add it to that board. And Mm so when I'm going to figure out who I want to interview next, I have a a list of different organizations or people to reach out to. And a lot of them come from even products I use in my own home. So one of the guests that's coming up, for example, is the CEO of a company called ButcherBox, which I don't think is in your part of the world. No, I don't think it is. Yeah, I have a feeling we have a similar concept. Tell me about it. Yeah. So it's direct to consumers, 100% grass fed beef is what it started with. But now they have a number of other meat products, but it's all raised humanely. It's um, no hormones ever. Mm. Uh, No confinement. So a different type of farming. And my husband and I have been customers since I think 2016, a year after they started. And Mm. so it was cool having the founder of that coming on the podcast where Again, some of the people I reach out to are ones that we've researched the products for our own use Mm. and wanting to give visibility of these are really great companies. 
I love it. My sister would be, who's a farmer, regenerative farmer, small holding, but but everything she talks about is is this, you know, grass fed, you know, all the the things you've just been talking about, and she's passionate about it. And but I think it's this there's there's almost a groundswell in our um, in our world which I love, which is we've moved from the subject story as John Alexander talks about it. We're moving away from the consumer story. We're moving to the citizen story where we are much more accountable for our environment, the way what we consume. And there's a big argument about sustainability in terms of just farming. And, you know, there's a discussion around whether we should eat meat or not. And and she's passionate about, yes, as long as it's raised the right way and regenerative, then it's it's a good thing. So fascinated to hear that. Yeah. Amazing. Absolutely. And, and you've launched I, a new podcast, which I was, I looked at and I was, I was saying, okay, new podcast. Great. Kathy's on new podcast. And I thought, okay. <laughs> and it is an interesting one. I'm just going to say, tell us a bit more about that because for those who want to check you out on the other podcasts, it's short bites and punchy. And I've, it's given me an idea for what I want to do uh, with my podcast as well. So tell us a bit more about that. Uh, it's called Unfolding with Kathy Burrell, and it is new. I launched it maybe a month and a half ago, mm-hmm. and it's kind of an experiment, to be honest. I don't interview anyone. So Purpose and Profit is a business podcast, and I interview guests, and it's about how to transform businesses. Unfolding is more personal development. So mm-hmm. my idea for it was sharing insights that I've learned along my life that have been really helpful for me. And Mm. I created it for a younger version of me who didn't know those things yet uh, that would have been really helpful for her to know. And I remember as I was launching this, I'm like, so, you know, I hope that the things that have been helpful for me will be helpful to someone else. But if they aren't, if no one else listens to this, how will I feel? Mm. So I thought about that for a minute and I decided I would feel fine because part of the reason for the podcast for me is creating a space where I use my voice in a very unfiltered way. Since a lot of my life, my voice has been filtered. It's been filtered from what I thought I was allowed to say, Mm -hmm. what was expected of me in a situation. Or when I worked in corporate, what I was literally allowed to say. Hmm. Sometimes my presentations were written for me and things would be edited by legal. They would be edited by senior management. And so just getting back to practicing, this is my voice Hmm. and I get to say whatever I want to say, whatever is true to me. Um, And doing it not just in a room by myself, but in a forum where it could be visible. There's power in that. Yeah. It, for Ozan is talking about writing it down, getting it out there in his, his new book, which I, I love. And there's nothing better than, I think, not only writing it, but talking about it and getting it out and putting it in the world and seeing what people uh, think about it. But but also it starts conversations. I've, I've always fascinated by the conversations it starts so do we know do other people listen to it did you do you measure is it is it hitting the mark with people it actually is which is good shocking in the past month and a half i've had almost two thousand downloads which is 
a lot for the people that aren't in the podcast world for a new podcast. And I've received some really nice just comments from people on how certain episodes have resonated with them and repeated in their mind and influenced how they've approached different situations, which is huge for me. Mm. I love that. It's an experiment and it's working. And when we were having a conversation not so long ago, it it made me smile because you were talking about that sometimes in our world, we get to the point where we're too structured, too, too almost work focused. And you talked about silliness. And I I always remember there was just that moment of going, yeah, I don't have enough silliness in my life at the moment. (laughs) Talk to me about that because in this world of purpose, sharing stories, there's almost sometimes you feel like, as you say, you can't say what you want to say. You can't let yourself, let your hair down, go and do something different. So tell me a bit about the silliness and why that's important to you. I'm fascinated. Yeah. Yeah. So when we were talking last time, I had been doing a lot of creation in my life. So creation of now two podcasts and creation is a type of play, but In that sense, when it's in a work area, there's an outcome attached to it. And so for me, silliness is there's no outcome. You're just, it's like you're five years old again, and you're just being goofy. Hmm. And I was realizing that I had a drought of silliness in my life. Um, And generally, I can be a pretty silly person. And I'll, you know, create songs for my husband throughout the day, just about random things like putting the groceries away um, (laughs) or do dances in the kitchen. But those are small bursts of it. And there's something about unstructured play that is important regardless of what age you're at. There's an expansiveness to it when no outcome is expected or required or could even be produced. And it's just enjoyment for the sake of enjoyment and creativity just for the sake of being lost in it. I love it. That lost piece is so important sometimes because it's sometimes when you're lost in that moment, the ideas flow. Yeah. We're tapping into something different. So it can be purposeful even when it feels like it's goofy, silly work in there. Kathy, it's, it's been lovely to talk to you. We always finish with three questions. So I'm fascinated in these because I'm seeing if there's a link to goofy and silly. Um, but the first one's a bit more serious. But one moment, small happening in your life that has shaped your leadership in whatever you do. What's one small moment that's really had a significant impact on your leadership? I don't know if this is a small moment, but it was an influential moment. Going back to the Peace War. I was assigned to work with a business that had gone from 200 employees to about a dozen in a year. (laughs) They made uh, floor mats out of reeds, out of grass, and um, their market went away because of the introduction of plastic floor mats to the market, Mm -hmm. which were the same price. They came in a lot of colors and patterns. They lasted longer. And so I was working with them on new product development. What else could they do with their natural resource? Because they weren't going to gain the same market back. And this was 12 older gentlemen in a very small conservative village in Morocco. And I came in with my business degree. 
and a lot of ideas ready to help them. And so I drafted up a business plan and I was so excited. I'm sharing it with them and they didn't want to work with me. Hmm. Yeah. And I was really frustrated because I thought at the time that if you have a great business plan, that is what will convince people to get on board. Hmm. It, that it's all from, from your head, from logic. And what I learned from that experience was people follow you, not because of a business plan, hmm. but because they're inspired by you and they trust you hmm. and you've built some sort of connection with them. Hmm. And I had skipped through those steps. I didn't realize that at the time. Hmm. And so it ended up taking a lot longer to work with them because I had to step back and build those relationships and build that trust before they were ready to listen to any business plan that I created. Love it. Chad Littlefield, a good friend would be, you know, a round of applause for this because his whole thing is connection before content. And it's such a catchy phrase, but it's every time you go on a call, connection before content in terms of that. But it's so difficult to remember when you're in the mode of, as you say, logic or business case or, or being quizzed got time pressure it's it's tricky i love that second one then if you had to disrupt one thing about leaders today what would it be for me it'd be the notion that they're supposed to have the answer i saw briefly with covid a really interesting thing happen where no one had the answer and so leaders were a lot quicker to say i don't know let's figure this out together like we've never experienced this before and I really would like to see that continue nice. because in business, if you're going to do something interesting, if you're going to change the way business is done, there's going to be a lot of unknowns. And the best way to figure out a plan to get there is collaborating with everyone on your team, collaborating with people outside of your organization and bringing them in. And so moving away from this notion that the leader has all the answers and sets the direction and that's it. And I think COVID taught us so many things, didn't it? And some of those lessons are almost being forgotten immediately in terms of community and care for each other and other things. So I love that piece about the leadership. Final one. So this is, apart from dancing around, singing songs to your husband, what's the one leadership habit that is non-negotiable for you? Honesty and transparency. Okay. I think that's interesting the two in words there because I, I used to have honesty and somebody said oh you can never truly be honest and I actually adopted transparency as the the second stage of that so it's an interesting one I'd love you taking that because it's like no air high five yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so I'm interested in the transparency with the honesty and yeah and why you choose those two words together fascinating well let me say from my experience in the corporate world there's a lot hmm. of story spinning to tell a great yeah. story. And a lot of it is spurned by hitting quarterly numbers. Mm. Like, let's not show what isn't working. Let's overemphasize what is. Mm. And that is a detriment to the future success of companies. And so I think mm. honesty is really important and transparency if you're ever going to create a culture of continuous improvement. Nice. If you're ever going to create a culture with psychological safety. Mm. And the more transparent you are, not just within your walls, but within your external reporting, your external communication, 
the more you invite others who might have solutions you haven't thought of to approach you. If you say, hey, we have this ambition, but we don't know how to do it yet. And you publicly state that and are transparent about that, then people might show up at your door with solutions. Hmm. Nice way of putting it. I love that. So it's the vulnerability, it's the the step in, and then it's asking people to inviting them to help, which is going back to the collaboration and the citizen and the community and everything else we talked about. It's a nice red thread all the way through that. Kathy, it's been an absolute delight. If people want to find out about you, we've mentioned the two podcasts, but just where would they go to find out about you? Yeah. Uh, my website is the best place. So mm-hmm. com, and then LinkedIn. I'm very, very active there. Amazing. I appreciate you coming on being a guest. Um, and it's it's been curiosity for me because I've wanted a number of my listeners, my clients have said, I'd love to understand a bit more. And I think you've enlightened us today around the sustainability, the purpose and that journey. So it's been a delight to have you on. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was Kathy Verol, uh, amazing. Uh, loved since the first time I met her and Ozan uh, around talking to them about potentially going on a program called Moonshot. Again, the, the work she's doing around sustainability, BSG, um, and this purpose to, and profit uh, work she's done in organizations. It's a journey. It's a, it's a bit like the John Alexander work with citizens when I interviewed John. This is something that I have a strong desire to to see live and breathe in our society and our our organizations. Um, so delighted to talk to her. And again, you'll have heard today the intentional thought, the structure, the process, the clarity of thought around what she believes in there is 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 something to to listen to and absorb. So thank you for listening to this episode. I look forward to welcoming you on another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast very shortly.